0: old school and my favorite interviews are with book authors book club with michael smirconish is now in session hey gang i i have been eagerly awaiting an interview that i'm about to conduct but i i i first need to tell you a story and make an admission so here's the story i began practicing law full-time in 1993 after having served in the george w bush George Herbert Walker Bush, Papa Bush, administration. That was after Bill Clinton beat Papa Bush. I was a presidential appointee. I then went to work for a legendary Philadelphia-based trial attorney named James E. Beasley. And I spent a decade with Jim. I was very privileged to carry his bag and to learn at his elbow. Very early in my practice, I had a case in which the other side was represented by a pair of Delaware lawyers, one of whom was an attorney named Charlie Brandt. Charlie was a a former prosecutor now in private practice. And surprise, surprise, we got along. There was no animosity. Everybody treated the other as a gentleman. We resolved the case. And I will never forget that When a couple of years thereafter, I was trying a case in Delaware, this same Charlie Brant graciously served as a Sherpa of sorts for me. In other words, he he schooled me in local practices. I have a vision of Charlie even sitting in for a portion of that trial. He had no connection to the case. We met when we were on opposite sides of the fence, but... um, it just offered me that level of, of professional courtesy, which was really extraordinary. So, fast forward to 2004. I think I have my years straight. I'm now a radio host. I, I'm no longer an attorney who, on the side, is a talk radio host. I'm a talk radio host who happens to be an attorney. And Charlie Brandt reached out for me and said that he had written a book and. Would I be interested in interviewing him on my program? And TC, you will remember this. I immediately agreed Charlie qualified under what we regard as the friends and family plan. Friends and family plan. In other words, sight unseen. No matter what it was. No matter what the book. It could have been a coloring book. It wouldn't have mattered because this was a guy that I wanted to do a solid for. Correct. Candidly, it didn't even matter what I thought of the book, but I did read the book and I enjoyed the book. But I had agreed to interview him sight unseen. The book was called I Heard You Paint Houses. I Heard You Paint Houses. And I'll bet some of you already know where this is going. A work of nonfiction, the story of Frank Sheeran, who confessed to Charlie to killing Jimmy Hoffa. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, the same book on which the recently released Martin Scorsese mob swan song, the movie is called The Irishman, is now in theaters starring Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Joe Pesci, and it is based on Charlie's book.
1: Hello? Hi, my friend. I got that kid I was talking to you about here. I'm going to put him on the phone and let you talk to him, okay?
2: (laughs) Hello? Is that Frank? Yes. Hiya, Frank. This is Jimmy Hoffa. (laughs) Glad to meet you. Glad to meet you. Ladies and
0: gentlemen, suffice it to say that uh, Charlie Brandt is no longer in need of anyone's friends and family plan. This is Charlie Brandt. Hey, Charlie, I am so looking forward to chatting with you, and I'm so happy for your success.
2: Well, thank you. This is already the best interview I've ever done in the <laughs> 15 years since the book has been out.
0: <laughs> so, how in the world did you catch Scorsese's eye, or did someone catch Scorsese's eye on your behalf?
2: It was providential. Uh, there's a screenwriter named Eric Roth. I don't know him. But he got his hands on the book somehow. He liked it, and he referred it to Bob De Niro. And this was in, uh, in 2007. Uh, three years after the the book had come out. And uh, De Niro and he gave it to the screenwriter, Steve Zalian, who won the Oscar for Schindler's List and is the screenwriter on this project. Uh, and he gave it to Zalian, and Zalian said, this should be your next movie. And uh, De Niro said, I know. And the two of them took it to Marty Scorsese, and he said the same thing. Well, they planned on it being their next movie, but... That was 2007, and here we are. I'm not complaining, but here we are in 2019, the way Hollywood works. So know.
0: were you all the while saying, you know, pinch me, I can't believe that Bob De Niro, as Charlie Brandt puts it, has taken an interest in my book? I mean, you must have been over the moon.
2: I I was over the moon, and I, and I rushed into my mother's bedroom. She was uh, 93 at the time and, and living with me, and she had cancer, And I rushed into her bedroom to tell her the news. And this little 4-foot-10-inch Italian woman who didn't speak a word of English when she started in the schools of Staten Island uh, said to me what she normally would say to me. Look up, Charles. Look up. Be grateful. Wow.
0: I I might have goosebumps, Charlie.
2: (laughs) Quite a gal, my mom. (laughs)
0: <laughs> holy smokes were you able to maintain some i know how these things are you know it's like your baby and then they take control of it were you able to maintain some level of involvement during the production of the movie oh
2: what a great question i'm so thrilled they put me in a hotel on the 54th and broadway and uh marty lives on the west side more excuse me on the east side more of manhattan and uh, they gave me a script. This was the uh, June of two thousand seventeen. Uh, Ten years after they first saw the saw the book, and uh, they gave me a script to read. They asked—I say they—I mean Marty—asked for my notes on the script, and then uh, they scheduled a meeting at, at Marty's house. And uh, we—I did that through the summer of two thousand seventeen. I would meet with Marty. Uh, Bob De Niro and Steve Zalian. Oh my and god.
0: Oh my I know. god. Oh, you gotta I know. be
2: shitting me. Come on. I know. <laughs> <laughs> and here's, here's the best part for, yeah. for for a knock around guy like you. Um I would leave my my hotel and I would look to and to get to Marty's I would I would go to my right, heading east. And uh, I would look to my left first before I took another step. And two blocks down on the on my side of the street was a New York telephone company building, uh, about uh, 30 stories, I'm going to say. And I had worked on that building as a timekeeper in the summer of 1960. I had to walk the beams four stories to my desk on either side of me to to bring messages to the foreman or whoever I had to contact out there. Uh, on the building as it was being built and that that was 65 bucks a week which i thought was gold in the summer of 1960 and here i was in 2017 on my way to marty's house oh my gosh wow i had to look down the block and then i had of course i had to look up (laughs) Mm, mm. i'm ahead
0: of i'm ahead of myself who was frank sheeran and and how did you know frank sheeran
2: well, I, I um, as you may recall, I was a, a medical malpract- malpractice lawyer uh, in, in awe of Jim Beasley. <laughs> I attended any of his, any of his lectures, and uh, I, in that capacity, I got a call from a member of the Philly mob. That was Angelo Bruno's mob at the time. Frank Sheeran was in jail for 32 years uh, as one of the Hoffa suspects. They went after the Hoffa suspects the way the IRS went after Al Capone. They went after him for whatever they could get him on, and in Al Capone's case, it was tax evasion. In this case, it was labor racketeering. And 32 years in jail for labor racketeering is, like, unheard of, you know? But they were trying to put pressure on Frank. And here was Frank. He had already served about half his sentence, and um, uh, he had some health issues. And this member of the of the Philly Mob and associate named Franny McDonald, called me up and asked me if I could use my medical knowledge and get Frank out of jail early on a medical parole. Uh, And that's easy because uh, at his age and with his health problems, uh, the the warden doesn't want him in the the jail. They don't want to spend their budget on on providing him medical care, nurses, whatever. And he needed surgery. Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the surgeon, but I'm sure you know him. He was a Philadelphia neurosurgeon, an Italian guy. Uh, anyway, um, I got him out. My partner Bart Dalton, who's still still carrying on with our medical. medical sure,
0: practice. sure. Bart, Bart was the other lawyer, of course. I remember. By the way, was the yeah. was the neurosurgeon D. Simone? Yes, Fred D. Simone.
2: Fred D. Simone. <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay, go ahead. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, so Bart and I um, got him out of jail. You know, we had to hearing and got him out of jail. And he took us to Vincenzi's restaurant in Wilmington. It was a mob hangout. <coughs> but the food was and is. It's still there. Sensational. So here we here we were, um, my office, my paralegals, Bart, me, and um, uh, eight guys named Rocco sitting around a table <laughs> at Vincenny's. <laughs> and, and they're talking about how much they hate this particular FBI man. And Franny McDonald was there, the guy who had hired me to to spring, prank. And he said, uh, uh, and, and uh, FBI agent Tam was the kind of guy that put a little hairspray on, you know, and uh, always dressed to the nines. And uh, Franny said, you know, I'll tell you what's wrong with, with that Tam. I'll tell you what's what's his problem. His whole life, that man is fighting gayism. So that became a... <laughs> An office joke you know and um, after after lunch, Frank took me aside and he said to me that he was tired of uh, being written about in all the books on Hoffa and um, he uh, uh, and, and there were there were a couple of three books out at the time on the Hoffa disappearance and uh, he wanted to to write a book and tell his side of it and he wanted me to write it he had read a book. I don't know if you remember this book I'd written in, in 1988. It was uh, called The Right to Remain Silent. It was a novel with a um, a detective hero by the name of Lou Razzi. And uh, <clears throat> I, I didn't write any more after that book, but it did very well. It was published by St. Martin's Press. Well, Frank read it in um, in jail. Wow. It's a law and order book. Wow. It's a law and order uh a total Law and Order book, and he said he wanted me to write a book for him. But you didn't. And but Char- I, Charlie,
0: you didn't have any idea at this stage that he was going to tell you that he killed Jimmy Hoffa.
2: I didn't have any idea, but I knew he wanted to get something off his chest. Hmm. And 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 that's kind of complicated. But I knew this guy has something he wants to tell me. Right. Uh, p- primarily because of our history together. I wasn't a guy that took any nonsense from him, and it's it's in the book these anecdotes that I'm not going to tell you them, but just you know accept the idea that that I felt that I felt that, and it it was something I had learned too from a Wilmington detective named Charlie Burke, who was an excellent interrogator. And when I asked him, "How did you get a?" uh, uh," I asked Burkey once, "How did you get a confession from?" How do you seem to get confessions? And you got one from this Randolph Dickerson. And uh, Charlie said to me, they want to tell you, child. I didn't even believe him at the time, but it became my experience as a homicide investigator for the attorney general's office. And uh, so when he said that, I thought, you know, for my writing, I'll at least get some dialogue maybe or get something out of this. Sure. You're right. Yeah. I didn't expect him to lay this on me and we we agreed to meet in springfield pennsylvania at his uh, garden apartment and uh, <clears throat> i spent five hours with him and boy did he need to unload he was very guilty about killing hoffman uh, he adored Hoffa, and uh but he felt he had no choice he said if i said no ever said no to russell buffalino played by joe pesci in the movie outstanding job If I ever said no to Russell, uh, Jimmy would have been just as dead and I'd have gone to Australia with him. Uh, Australia, a term I learned from him for uh, going down under. Hey,
0: By by the way, speaking of terms, we should explain to people, what does paint houses mean?
2: Oh, yes, sir. My bad. My wife would be angry if I didn't explain it. Um, It means, uh, I heard you kill people. The paint is the blood that spatters on the walls figuratively. And the floor, and that was the first words said to Frank Sheeran by Jimmy Hoffa uh, around 1955 when uh, Russell Buffalino introduced them to each other over the phone. And it's depicted in the not only in the movie but in the commercials for the movie in the trailers that phone call, where where um, uh, uh, Al Pacino as as, as Jimmy Hoffa says to Frank over the phone, I heard you paint houses. And Frank says I do my own carpentry work, too, which means you can (laughs) dispose of the body.
1: (laughs) This is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM.
0: Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4.
1: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverseimpact.
0: Listen to Michael live, weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124, and on the SXM app. Oh my God. Oh my God. It's an unbelievable. I'm as taken with your story as I am The story. I just love the idea that that you you spring a guy who's very sick and and you go out to lunch. I'm sure it's a celebratory lunch where the food was great and the stories are even better. And it takes a turn and takes you into a, a whole other chapter of your life.
2: Totally, a consuming chapter.
0: Yeah, but for all the right reasons. I mean, yeah. I, I, I'm sure over the span of the last 10 years, there were a lot of times when you thought it was on and then you thought it was off. It, it must have been yeah. an emotional roller coaster for you, just in terms of is it going to get to the screen?
2: Well, that emotional roller coaster also, I'm 77 now, Michael. Yeah, sure. Yeah, but you got it done. Of- Come on, you got it done. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I, I have to ask you this. We we are not giving away the book or the movie for free. We want the people to read the book, uh, which is called I Heard You Paint Houses, and, of course, to see the movie. But I, I must ask you this before we uh, say so long. The book mm-hmm. and the movie have spawned a whole new debate about the killing of Jimmy Hoffa. And what I most want to know is, do you today, having all this, you know, new debate taking place in the aftermath of your book and the movie, do you still believe that Sheeran killed Hoffa?
2: There's absolutely no question but that Sheeran told me the truth. The, the book I had written called uh, The Right to Remain Silent was based on homicides that I solved through interrogation. Uh, the, the people that are having the debate, are not homicide investigators i can tell you that i wrote the book as if it were a a jury trial and and the jury has spoken we're now about to be number one in the in the nation uh of the new york times bestseller list
0: and there's nothing that's come out no point of view that's been offered that has made you that has shaken your faith in what your guy told you
2: not even slightly it's it 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 is so ironclad. If people want to know is it true or not before they buy the book, they can go to the library, take the book out, and read pages three hundred to three hundred and six. <laughs> That's the solution. That's the solution. It, that makes it you know makes it absolutely crystal clear. Now, I don't want to talk about these other people that have their own views. They have a right to their own views, but uh, the the uh, the book speaks for itself. And so I, I kindly ask people, read the book and you'll see. And anyone who's read the book, the reviews have been incredible and the uh, the, the reader reviews have been incredible on Amazon. So, <clears throat>
0: you know. Charlie can I'm I say? I'm really happy for your success. It is really, really a wonderful, wonderful story. I mean your story. The story, it speaks for itself, but your story, even better. Oh my god. Thanks. A guy Thanks, who writes brother. a book and then it gets to the screen and has the best director and actors anywhere acted out. Oh, my God. That's extraordinary.
2: Well, this is the book that brought them together. I know. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: I know. Yeah. I heard you paint houses. I heard you paint houses. And Charlie, uh, one last thing. Just It's just funny that I'm, I'm here. My producer is still with me. It's been a long time. But honestly, I, re- I remember saying to her, well, I know this guy. He's a good guy. Put him on. We got
2: to put them on. <laughs> 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 You're the good guy, the UNCC. <sighs> oh, so man. cool to see you. Still, still doing it. Knocking him dead. Still doing it.
0: All right. I hope I see you, Charlie. I'd love to love to uh, make your acquaintance again, but uh, Godspeed.
2: Godspeed to you. God bless us all.
0: That's Charlie. Charlie Brandt. Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirkanish program. Weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app.
2: Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com.
1: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio...